everyone, welcome back to Hey Look Listen. My name is Liam Sheehan and I'm joined here by my good pal Kevin O'Carroll. Kevin, welcome back to the podcast that we do, Hey Look Listen. Thank you for the, the, the warm welcome, Liam. I appreciate it. Well, look, you're always appreciated, as I know you appreciate appreciate me in return. Am I correct? Yeah, I, I appreciate you all the time. <laughs> Whatever. Whatever. God, we need some fucking... Where's Owen and Marcy? We need some fucking fresh blood in here. I'm starting to become bitter of you, like an old housemate or something like that. You clean the sink. Clean up your dishes in the sink. Yeah, I, I actually need to do that. Uh, <laughs> sorry. This podcast... Got you real. As a hobby is not for reminding ourselves of the chores we've done, it's for, or haven't done. It's for the complete opposite of that. So let's barrel ahead with, you know, not real life stuff, but with video games. And hopefully old, old video games. I don't want to think of anything modern, Kev. Mm. So what are you playing at the moment? Is it something new? <laughs> <laughs> it's this brand new release. It just came out today. Um, no, I'm playing a game that came out last year. So is that old um, enough for you? I'm okay with that. I think it actually came out the December of the year before. Is that old enough for you? Man, I'm laughing now. I'm loving yep. it now. Okay. And this game is, I think I've talked about it before, because I, I had played a little bit of it at the start of the year, um, but I've gotten into it in a big way lately, and hmm. it's kind of taken over my mind and soul, and I see it every time I close my eyes now. <laughs> uh, and that is Vampire Survivors. Ah, yes. Jesus Christ, this thing is... It's it's just crack cocaine for your eyes. It is ridiculous. I don't know. Have you have you played it? Have you seen much of it? Seen it. There was a lot of buzz last year and you know and since about it, but I have not played it myself. Yeah. So for anyone who's unfamiliar with it, it is an incredibly simple, incredibly ugly looking video game, mm-hmm. um, where the only controls are you move your character around. He your character will automatically fire weapons. Enemies will come at you in waves. You kill them, you collect XP, you level up. Every time you level up, you can either take a new weapon or upgrade the one you have. You keep adding weapons. They'll all keep firing automatically. It becomes, they call it like a reverse bullet hell, where like by the end of it, you're just firing out particle effects in all different directions, um, massacring waves of enemies as they come towards you. And like, despite the simplicity, it is one of the most engaging games I have played in a long, long time. It just gets its little hooks into your brain in a way that is really difficult to put into words mm. it's so things like just variations in like enemies move speeds or some enemies take a bit more damage to put down so you have to sort of adapt on the fly to things coming in there's a couple of different maps um the artwork is always ugly but in a really endearing way like very intentionally so um it's designed by a guy who used to work in the gambling industry used to design like um, digital scratch cards. Um, so it's, he's, his background is in basically designing things that are sort of visually and, and uh, musically and in terms of those cues. They're designed to just get you to want to play more. But he's using his powers for good now and that he's, he's redirecting them into this incredibly addictive video game. Um I, I just I, I cannot recommend it. I think it's it's like it's free on Game Pass. I think it's free on mobile. I think it's like two euro on Steam, and it's literal hundreds of hours of gameplay. Um, and I'm not kidding. Like I, I do see it when I close my eyes now. Like the, the the art, the colors have been burned into my retina. Like the Eye of Sauron. Basically, yeah, you see, yeah. You see, like, you see, you see with your waking eyes. There's no veil between you and the Wheel of Fire. 
Mm, yeah, it's, it's it's like the Eye of Sauron, except all I'm seeing are just little like blue and green gems, and sometimes red ones. Ooh, when you see the red ones, you know you're doing well. <laughs> Is that a good thing? Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, I, 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 despite describing it as some sort of harmful and ugly addictive substance, it is legitimately just a really well-designed game that's a lot of fun to play. Um, so firmly recommend it. It should be a negative, but I, I can't think of anything, you know, any proper examples right now. But I can definitely recall times when I've gone to bed after playing a game maybe all day or a lot of the day and kind of, yeah, you see it when you close your eyes. And it sounds like, oh no, I've played a video game too much. But when you actually feel it, you're like, ah... Yeah, something comforting about, <laughs> about the, it's like a warm hug from that game you have to play. You 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 can't play. I mean, because you have to go to sleep. Yeah, it's like you're like there's a slight possibility <laughs> I've left myself forever physically altered by this, but in a good way. I might I might get onto it actually, Kim, because I'm actually at the moment not looking to dive into something um, big and engrossing. Mm-hmm. You know, even though there's some big engrossing RPGs coming out, I'm not looking for that at the moment. I'm yeah. looking for something kind of. Um, immediate and pick up and put down kind of thing it's perfect for that because like you like best case scenario a successful level in vampire yeah. survivors is 30 minutes the objective is to survive for 30 minutes mm. so the run will be at most 30 minutes realistically less than that when you're getting started out and pretty much every time you play you'll unlock something else a new character a new weapon there's like power-ups and things so there's always each time you finish a run, you've unlocked something new that's going to fundamentally change the next run. So it is very pick-up and playable. Um, yeah, I get you. But because it's limited to those 30 minutes, you know, you have an out every 30 minutes where you can put it back down. You just rarely want to. Mm, sounds really good. How about uh, you, buddy? Are you um, playing anything at the moment? I don't know. Speaking of kind of, you know, immediate kind of, you know, crunchy gratification games, I played a game with you recently. Mm. so even though you'll know about this game you know we actually have people listening to the podcast as well so i can explain it for them if that's okay with you mm. i'm sure they'll both appreciate it <laughs> <laughs> i've actually played it with my brother as well since uh, i've tried it out since i played it with you and it's not a new game or anything i think it's about 10 years old but i had a ton of fun with it both times i played it. it's called nidhog 2 mm. it's how do you describe it it's just like a side-scrolling multiplayer dueling game where you're just two little gross little guys and uh you kind of it's a one hit kill game and you scroll through different weapons like a rapier like a big old sword like a bow and arrow and every time you kill each other you have to like dash to the other side of the screen so if, like say i'm player one and, and i kill you kev i have to run to the right of the screen and try to like make it five screens over but you will respond and you know try to block me and we played it with a few drinks in us and it was actually just the funniest thing wasn't it it was honestly <laughs> such good crack I immediately clicked with me just the simplicity of the controls and just how, you know, satisfying it felt. And it, it kind of reminded me of those multiplayer games of yore that have just simple premises. But I was literally like, like yipping and laughing. Yeah. <laughs> like every time I killed you and was able to like dash forward and try to get the screen up, like, ah, 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 ah. and then you'd like re- respawn and hit me with an arrow like really well. And then you'd run to the screen up, like, oh, fuck no. I love any multiplayer game just has me like talking in half sentences and noises. Yeah. It's a. Uh... It's a textbook example of that, particularly if you if you get the timing right on like the the throwing mechanic, it can be <laughs> yeah hilarious. And it was very kind of you know it's very aggravating to lose in, but I was it's, mm. I don't know it kind of I was also incredibly complimentary playing it, even yeah. though I was angry when you like beat me or even just killed me once and was able to dash. I was like, oh, good one. Oh, that was, get it. <laughs> that was impressive. You absolute prick. 
so yeah, it's like I like I said, it's an old old game. In fact, it's the second one, and I remember a lifetime ago playing the mm. first one in my cousin's house on his PC. And in that one, you were just literal little stick figure figurines, uh, little stick characters. But it's like such a slight memory. So when we the only reason we played this because we we're looking for something to play multiplayer that was like literally free on um, PlayStation Premium, and I yeah. thought it was such a find. It's one of those kind of cool things when you like. Probably this wasn't a big secret. It's probably people who have enjoyed this game for years, but now I discovered it. I'm like, cool. This is one of my new favorite multiplayer games. Honestly, yeah, it's just it's just a good time. And you need to help me out here with the, this part of what what have I played recently? What was that other game we played, Kev? The... Uh, yeah, so that was um, a totally reliable delivery service. That's it. Yeah, that's it. Um, <laughs> which is uh, somewhere between a fun good time and <laughs> absolute fucking nightmare it was it, kind of shy but we had fun playing it for an hour or so it's the yeah. point of the game is that you're two well you're we were playing multiplayer you're squidgy little men at purposefully controls like absolute dog shit like everything has a separate physics engine like your arms and your both your arms both your legs and it's just the most difficult thing to control and you have to do deliveries around this kind of cartoon town be it like via driving a car or like a helicopter or a plane and it's just yeah. the humor is that it's so difficult to control so we get into this like ridiculous situation of trying to load boxes or barrels onto a helicopter and then control the helicopter it got old after about an hour and a half but it was a good hour and a half I think. yeah and there was a lot more content in that game that we didn't <laughs> and subsequently will not ever see there was like give it, it a few months we might jump back into it but like yeah that. maybe maybe <laughs> um but yeah the, the, like the fundamental idea is hilarious at first and then quickly becomes just frustrating i imagine it probably crosses the line twice that if you stick with it it probably becomes fun again but i think we were maybe a couple of drinks in at that stage we did not have the patience to to get good good enough at it for the badness to be fun it's one of those things as well like it would have been miserable in in single player oh i can't imagine i can't imagine anyone playing that thing single player that's maybe like some ted bundy shit <laughs> but as much fun as we had uh, playing two-player, I think the more people you add on to that, the funner it's going to get. Absolutely. I think it plays up to four, which yeah, would be see. absolute carnage, yeah. Yeah, I'd love to play a four-player sometime, actually. That, that'd be a good reason to jump back into that game. Yeah, for sure. But yeah, those are the only two games I got to talk about. So why not talk about the main event? Mm, let's get down to business. Okay, we're talking about one of my favorite video game franchises today. My... Um, personal thing is you know as, as a nintendo wanker mm-hmm. i've always had you know my, my my triumvirate my triple threat you know i love i love the pokemon and the kirby and the fire emblem and the star fox you know i like all those other ones but i've always been saying my, my favorite three nintendo franchises in that or in this order are zelda mario metroid yeah and i've always beyond that despite metroid being you know third place out of those my three favorites i've almost had a kind of a hipster love for metroid because I think it's never really, like, it, it has a huge following, but it's mm. it's on the niche side of Nintendo franchises, I think. I think it's kind of changing these days, you know? It's kind of having its day in the sun. I think it's rising in popularity even. Um, but when I was a kid, I, my first Nintendo console was a Nintendo 64, which we talked about in, in like, for the entirety of our previous episode. And that was the console that skipped Metroid. Yeah. There was never a Metroid game on, like, you know, on that generation. So Metroid became this mythic thing almost. 
I kind of, you know, Samus was in Super Smash Brothers and that was cool. And I played Super Metroid like in my cousin's house and stuff like that. But I kind of, um, yeah, I kind of had to like discover that franchise late and I just immediately fell in love with it. But what is Metroid, Kev? And what, what's, what's it all about? The first one came out in like, I believe, 1987 mm. or six, you know? Yeah, in around then. Sounds about right. I'm a bit too cool for dates, unfortunately, <laughs> for anyone. And it kind of... um. Do you know we can be, we can begin here with my opinions on Metroid Kev, we've just started, and my yep. my opinions um, on the original Metroids are a little bit kind of salty, circling, apathetic. To be honest, I don't really care about the first Metroid game. Yeah, I I think that's probably because it, it's not very good. Well, here's the thing: I'm in two minds about it because it's definitely important. Yep, it was definitely a cool piece of game design. It was probably a very cool piece of game design if you played it in the '80s, but yep. it's not in the same way that I kind of hold up Mario or Mario Three or I'm going to skip with Nintendo games like Zelda One or something like that. It's kind of for me in the same category as other NES games like. Uh, let's get Kid Icarus something like that yeah. where I loved kind of discovering them as a kind of an older kid like probably through emulation for a bit of you know Nintendo history but I've never really had fun playing the original Metroid oh, but, it, but it was a pioneering game it kind of you know the term Metroidvania would be birthed many years after its creation but the kind of elevator kind of pitch in terms of its innovation is the very first moment of it where it's a side-scrolling platformer and you know, you grow up in games in the 80s and you're just, you know, you know how to play these games. You move from left to right. You scroll right across screens. The very beginning of Metroid has you walk left to get an item and hit a dead end. Then you've got to go right and you use that item. It's a morph ball. You've got to roll under kind of a, a gap in the wall. And that's so mundane, I think, to say that you didn't even react when I said it in yeah. any, any way, shape or form. But that was super important. And that's the thing when you talk about games that are that old, it's kind of hard to kind of sell the importance of these innovations. And when you go beyond that, Metroid is this non-linear kind of labyrinthine world to explore and figure out and gain items. And we've talked about Metroidvania games many mm-hmm. times. You know, you and I are a huge fan of the franchise, you know, or sorry, the, the genre. genre yeah. And yeah, yeah, yeah I, can, I can say words. And I don't know. I think the genre became more exciting after Metroid One, yeah, I no, I hundred percent agree with that. I think it's like the, the idea of the Metroidvania was kind of solidified by Super Metroid on the SNES and um, Castlevania Symphony of the Night on the PlayStation at the time. Um, now, obviously, the like the bones of of what that genre would go on to become was present in the original Metroid and the second one, which I think was that Game Boy originally. Yeah. yeah, yeah, but. Because you are talking about these like late eighties, super early nineties games, they don't really hold up to modern standards. Um, now, in the case of those two, mercifully, they don't have to because they've both had remakes. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, which... the thing about the thing about the first Metroid is that it didn't have a map screen. Okay. Yeah. And I say that's a huge negative. I say that's needlessly difficult, but maybe if you grew up in the 80s, you know, you hear people say about this about the original Legend of Zelda as well, where half the fun was chronicling your own map almost, getting out a sheet of paper and drawing a map as you went. Yeah. But maybe I was just born too late or even like played the game too late to kind of appreciate that because 
this might sound like mundane, but not to you, I know. But one of the joy, <laughs> one of the joys of a Metroidvania is that kind of opening the map screen, kind of furrowing your brow and going, "All right, what do I got here? Where am I going next? Where could I possibly use this new item?" And I think it's just added to the absolutely punishing difficulty, just general difficulty of Metroid One. Yeah. You know, you know, just it's so hard. Enemies just like hit hard. Bosses are really difficult and nuisance, nuisancey. I think it's just, I don't know. Am I am I not hardcore gamer enough? Perhaps, but I just I've never really enjoyed playing it. But it did birth one of um, my favorite video game protagonists of all time, Kev. Yeah. So before we kind of go into like individual games beyond that first Metroid and ones we want to talk about, can I just talk about Samus for a second? Absolutely. Uh, or how do you how do you pronounce her surname? Do you have any opinion? Because I've heard different ones like in official games over the years they just never decide how to pronounce it <laughs> i've always gone aaron at like yeah. like the islands but i'm I'm basing that on just being irish i guess i i, I <laughs> i've no idea what it should be well, well the first metroid i ever played properly was metroid prime and we'll get to that obviously and they pronounce it aaron and that so i've always said aaron and it's okay. always it's only said once i think aaron is probably right Kev, but it doesn't matter um laura croft in the 90s is super famous for being this you know iconic female video game character Mm -hmm. but let's let's be honest the first the greatest the pioneer is princess peach i'm sorry (laughs) and now like there's a kind of um a negative (laughs) 80s-ness aspect of that to talk about in my opinion but i just want to talk about samus for a second and why she's so cool uh well she has just fundamentally awesome character design she's just in a power suit and She's a silent protagonist for the most part. They give her dialogue here and there throughout the franchise, but she's a silent protagonist for the most part. And you just kind of piece together her character from the vibes of the game you play. Yeah. Are the games in plural? And, you know, she's, you know, Metro games are famously kind of, you know, isolating. They're very lonely kind of adventures. They're Samus almost like, you know, submerging herself into like deeper, darker dungeons and caves, some of that. So, yeah, it is a kind of, um, yeah, she's, a, she's very much a kind of a lone kind of warrior. Mm. And she's obviously incredibly capable and skilled warrior. She's, you know, and just for kind, kind of from those vibes, she's just like stoic. That's kind of what you what you pick up. She's very matter of fact. It's always way I've kind of, you know, the building blocks of how I've kind of felt about her. And a crucial part of that, you know, um, that tapestry is that, you know, canonically, she's a bounty hunter. Yeah. So she's doing these things where she's like saving the world from space pirates and, and Metroids and like really kind of galaxy saving stuff. You know, this would be really bad news. But the fact that she is a bounty hunter, Kev, adds a kind of another thing to her character where I'm just like, oh, that's 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 an interesting wrinkle. Yeah, she's a hero who's like doing heroic things, but, you know, she'd only do it for a price. That kind of adds to another kind of cool aspect of the character. And it's like it's like Star Fox as well. If you're playing Lila Wars... You know, they're, you know, not in the army. They're mercenaries for hire. And at the yeah. end of the game, General Pepper is all like, Star Fox, you're awesome. Will you join? And he, and he literally cuts him off and goes, no, sir. Fuck you. <laughs> 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 and he's like, we do things our own way. I've kind of ad-libbed a little bit of that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, a little aspect of it. And I always liked about that. And what I'm building towards here, Kev, is a very cool uh, YouTube channel. It's been around for about a decade called mm-hmm. Game Explained. Do you know it? Yep. They recently have been doing a lot of really cool stuff where they've been translating uh, a lot of Japanese publications that have never really 
you know, popularly been translated for kind of, you know, Western eyes. Oh, cool. And they've come across information that was revealed that Nintendo and the creator of Metroid never knew what a bounty hunter was. And she's not, they just thought it sounded cool. <laughs> she's not a bounty hunter. It's like, a cre- it's, it's become this thing that's been created for the Western market and no one knew for years. And what's really interesting about that, and I might be getting ahead of myself here, but Samus is all those things to me. But then when she was finally in a game that was really story-driven, it's called Metroid Other M, yeah, which was uh, not made by Nintendo. It was made by um, Team Ninja, mm. creators of Ninja Gaiden and uh, <laughs> Dead or Alive and Dead or Alive Beach Volleyball, which is already kind of <laughs> eyebrow-raising when you're like, okay, the coolest you know female protagonist ever. Oh, those guys are doing it. But weirdly enough, that game was written by the original creator of Metroid. So you're kind of like, oh, cool. Let's see what he does when he actually adds proper narrative to this game. And she was horrible. She yeah. was just really, she was really, um, like her whole character act was being really obsessed with this like male superior officer that she has. And she was kind of not sycophantic, but she was just uh, doing things for his approval. And that character has been in the franchise before in a, in a minor sense, but it was never like that. And everyone kind of, you know, rubbed their heads and went, why did the creator of Metroid kind of characterize her like this? And I'm just starting to think it's because Japan has this different idea of what Samus is to us. And I, yeah. I, I think, and, and, and what's emblematic of that is the fact that she's never a bounty hunter. And now it's one of her most defining traits about her, is that, you know, our, our character traits, is that she's a bounty hunter and it's not a real thing. And it's one of the most exciting kind of gaming revelations I've discovered in the last year. I think it's such a cool, it's like opening the arc for me. Yeah, and my face is melting right now. <laughs> yeah, um, I just... Yeah, that's really interesting though. So is it the case that, they just use the term bounty hunter, not knowing what it meant, yeah. or, or okay, so it's not something that was just picked up in like the the Western localization, they and they u- they used a different term originally in the Japanese. It, it, it was kind of interchangeable with space adventure or something like that. You know, they were just okay. thought it was a cool, a cool thing that you know. So Samus is in the original um, intention of its creators was just supposed to be golden hearted hero who was going doing this thing, but because of that kind of mistake, that mistranslation, it kind of changed my whole. Or everyone's whole characterization and perception of who she is. And I think that's for the better. And it's never going to go away. It's too late now, you know? Yeah, I just think it's interesting how things are created that way. But on the other side of that, Samus is a a celebrated female protagonist. But did you know that you didn't know she was a woman for the whole time you're playing Metroid 1 in 1986-7? Yeah, that's actually what I was going to ask you is, you know, when was her gender sort of confirmed canonically within the games? Yeah, after you finish it. It was a, it was a, the end. it was like a twist ending almost. <laughs> One of gaming's first twist endings. She takes off her helmet and it's a woman and you go, oh, and that, that is kind of cool. It's very quaint by today's standards. You know, video games didn't have twist endings, you know, and even if it's like on a major one, you know, you know, kind of, you know, finding out a video game protagonist who wears a full power suit as a woman was, I guess, shocking to 1980s video game players. I think it was just, she was, because the whole thing was very much inspired by Alien. Yeah. So uh, it kind of makes sense if you look at it that way. Obviously, the, she'd be inspired by Ellen Ripley, maybe. But um, how? what's your feeling on the other aspect of that? She did take off her helmet if you got, you know, a certain percentage of items but if you keep you know it just goes on through the whole franchise the more completion percentage you get in that game the more she takes off so you can get her down to a bikini and i think there's a half of me that like who grew up with this was kind of like ah, it's nintendo and it's fun and there's another half of my brain that's just like no this actually kind of sucks and sullies everything 
it 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 does suck. There's no point. <laughs> <laughs> There's no point equivocating that one away. No, it, it that sucks. Um, like that's surely that's not still the case in in dread anyway. The most recent one. Do you know what? I think it is. Seriously? Oh. I think so. I, I, do you know what? Quite embarrassingly, why I don't know that is because I actually love that game, but I didn't actually get that much you know, percentage complete uh, in terms of how much items. I think I got less than 50% in that game. Yeah, I think it was probably about the same. Um, I mean, it was because I'm a staunch feminist and I didn't want Samus to take off those at the end of the game. Yeah, 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 sure, sure. <laughs> uh. But see, Samus is very loved. I, I really mean that. Like, I used to hang around with Smash Brothers. Um, the newest infinite was kind of you know in vogue the big thing i used to be hanging around a lot of you know forums and reddit pages and stuff like that and you know i really mean this like she's kind of loved in a kind of way like people don't mind that zero suit samus is in that which is the name of the smash Bros. character with her outside mm-hmm. of a suit it's super sexualized you know to use vernacular that i wouldn't quite use you know people think she's like fierce and stuff like that so yeah. maybe she's kind of been reclaimed almost you know and that kind of taking off her clothes by getting percentages is kind of, you know, not really seen as a negative, but it's always been a bit of a shame for me, you know, in my older years, a bit of a kind of, kind of flies in the face of the whole other vibe of the Metroid franchise. Yeah, it does. It kind of works against the idea of this, uh, be it Bounty Hunter or not, but this, you know, um, <laughs> strong female protagonist who doesn't need anyone else and gets the job done on her own and explores these massive areas <laughs> and fights these giant monsters and saves the world slash galaxy slash universe on multiple occasions and then <laughs> occasionally gets her tits out for nerds but she doesn't actually get well that's that's there's no like naked flesh in that if that's what you're thinking yeah she, just she in, just her... just in liam's search history hey i respect that video game character too much <laughs> but um i actually because honestly the reason I love the Metroid games is all gameplay, gameplay, gameplay. Yet I kind of wanted to start this episode talking about Samus because despite saying that, she's so kind of fundamental to what's so cool about that franchise and what's so iconic about it. But I was thinking rather than just, you know, my intention with this episode is not to just list through the Metroid games in order. Mm-hmm. Let's just kind of talk about it under a, a big umbrella. And I thought, why not jump straight to Metroid Prime, Kev? Because that is, you know, the, late, the remake of it that mm-hmm. came out on the Switch is the latest Metro thing to have happened. And I think what would be really interesting with you and I talking about it is that, you know, you played it for the first time this year, right? Yeah, and I, I yeah. played it. I played it in 2003 when it came out when I was but a teen. Hmm. Yeah, I, like you said, I played it for the first time uh, earlier this year when the, the remaster came out and I was really impressed with it. Uh, kind mm. of, like I knew going in that I would be. It's one of these things that I've always been aware of that the, the Prime games were good and that I would like them when I got around to them. And then just for some reason, I never did. Um, but yeah, like the 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 remaster, it um, it looks gorgeous. It, it plays really well. Um, but the thing that impressed me the most is translating that core thing from the Metroidvania, that the idea being this huge world for you to explore, that you, you know, you get more abilities that allow you to explore more areas, translating that from 2D to 3D in a way that felt meaningful. Um, they absolutely nailed it in that game. Um, it was it was a huge controversy at the time. I can was, imagine, yeah. The GameCube was kind of this um, <laughs> receptacle for weird Nintendo games. You know, if you just kind of sit back for a second, Mario, the main Mario game, he had a water pump on his back. Mario Kart yeah. Double Dash, there was 
two racers in the cart. Uh, Wind Waker, Zelda looked completely different. It had this cartoon, cartoonish vibe. It was a lot of that, a lot of really experimental stuff. And kind of chief among that was um, an iconically kind of, you know, side-scrolling 2D franchise. When it finally goes 3D, they decided to go uh, first person with it. And, mm. you know, back then, first person meant Halo, you know? So there was kind of, you know, do you know those insipid console wars, Kev? Yeah. yeah. I really remember at the time people kind of going, oh my God, you know, they're, they're just copying what Xbox are doing, you know, and stuff of like that, you know, with, um, or what Bungie are doing with Halo. And, you know, that was the kind of um, perception you see in a lot of corners at the time, at least, you know, from my very, very small vantage point that I had at the time. Yeah, you'd, I, assume, you'd assume those comments are coming from people who didn't play the game because you sit but, down with it for th- 30 seconds. Yeah. It, this does not play like Halo. And the thing is, it's my it was my first ever Metro game. Okay. Uh, so I wasn't really able to make those comparisons. I actually remember uh, I, uh, but I, when I was in school, I really wanted to like not be there a lot of the time. Yep. And uh, I remember this amazing day where like, and as an adult talk about it now, it's kind of, it's kind of a cool thing. And I should have had more school spirit, but I remember our girls camogie team were in some kind of final that was being played at our school. Okay. So for the last like three classes, we were allowed to like go out and watch it. And I was like, hell Yeah. I don't give a shit about this, but this is class. I don't have to do these last like three um, long ass you know, lessons. And it was packed. It was like families there. It was a huge bit and, and it was great. It was a Friday. And I knew on that day, my amazing parents were buying me Metroid Prime because I'd been wanting it for months. I'd, yeah. I, like, I, they used to buy me a game every now and then at that point, And that was the one I'd chosen for that like four month bracket or whatever, mm-hmm. you know? And uh, yeah, and I just, it's just, it's, it's, it's a, not really much of an anecdote, but I just, it's just so crystallized in my memory that when the match ended, I don't even remember the, if we won, Kev, who gives a shit, right? <laughs> I hope they won, hope they won, hope it's a cherished memory for all those girls. Good, good for you. Uh, but um, it was so packed in that it was this caged AstroTurf uh, stadium or like outdoor pitch we were in. Yeah. And it took 40 minutes for everyone to like shuffle out because it was so packed. It just this whole like, mismanaged thing and like one of my main memories of getting metroid prime was just my god you fuckers <laughs> <laughs> i would have done those three last classes if I, knew this was going to happen. <laughs> I have to get home i have to get home and i really say that with love because it reminded me how much i like you know it would great it'd be great to have more amazing school memories but you know, in lieu of that in lieu of that it's really great to have you know memories of how much i loved this hobby when i was a kid and how much excited i was for this game and yeah and like i said it was my first metroid so i wasn't able to compare um you know the fact it was a first person uh it's a first person shooter or not to other first person shooters but i remember playing it for the first time and thinking this is the best game graphically i've ever seen in my life Mm. on the wee little gamecube it probably it probably wasn't but there's just it's such a clever idea i think honestly because so we, we should say that Metroid Prime is a spin-off game, not made by Nintendo. It's made by a Texas uh, studio called Retro Studios. They were basically, actually, actually to, to swing back around, they definitely, in their lore, incorporated the idea of Samus being a bounty hunter Yeah. in those games, you know, which is funny, you know? Because <laughs> they, they, they didn't know either. Like, no one in Nintendo probably, you know, told them otherwise. So they kind of, it, it's... It's canon to the series. Like, I can slot it in chronologically with the other main series games. I know yeah. where it goes, but it's kind of their own thing. They had a kind of carte blanche to do what they want. And I think it's, like, a genius piece of design. Like, it have all those 
you know, developers sitting around and kind of hashing out the fundamentals of what, what to do with a 3D version of Metroid. I think it's a stroke of genius to go, my God, what, what, what's iconic? What's the most iconic thing about Samus? She's in this suit. Like, she yeah. is the suit. The character is the suit. That's what's so cool about her. Then why not put the player in the suit? Yeah. Put us in that helmet. And that's the thing about the UI of that game. It makes it, you feel like you're in Samus's helmet to the point where you shoot your beams at enemies. You know, it, the flashes reflect off the, the lens. You walk past burst steam pipes and condensation builds up on the screen. And at the time, man, it was groundbreaking stuff. Absolutely groundbreaking. Was that still impressive when you played the, like, the remake of it? Or was it more just like the, the, the game was just impressive and it's kind of hard to appreciate those things in 2023? Oh, no, no. That was definitely definitely something that I noticed pretty quickly. Um, it's it's great like as an immersion tool to kind of to draw you into the game. Whereas the first time I noticed that when you, you fire a weapon and the light causes Samus's face to reflect off the inside of the yeah. glass of the visor. So for like a couple of frames, you see her face on the screen. Um, like in 2023... That was really fucking cool. So I can I can only imagine how it was back in I don't know was it nineteen ninety one. I love the way it was just like I, I I'm pretty sure this one's two thousand and three. Yeah, I'm pretty sure I got the date right in that one. And um, yeah, and how did you cause how did you find it as a Metroidvania? Because I replayed it. Um, I replayed it this year as well. I I I got eventually got around to doing the remake, and you know it's hard to kind of unlink my nostalgia. To the yeah. game itself, because I think the environments are so iconic. I I, I love that the atmosphere of the, the different worlds you go to in the game. But I found some of like because you and I know to play a Metroidvania game, backtracking is meaningful. It's not a negative. Yeah, that's how you figure out these maps. That's how you untangle this world, which is essentially a kind of a giant environmental puzzle. But I thought the backtracking at times could be a bit unwieldy in Metroid Prime. I didn't remember that from my youth. Yeah, I think in any Metroidvania or in any good Metroidvania, like the key or a key part of the design is signposting the sort of the, the for lack of a better term, locks that the new abilities act as keys for. So having like a certain type of door that will open when you shoot it with a certain type of weapon so that when you find one of those doors early on, you're like, okay, I can't open this now, but I know I will be able to later. And then you find a weapon later. Like, okay, I remember that door. I can go back to it. And I think signposting those things in 2D can be a bit easier. Yeah. I think doing so in a 3D environment can be a little bit tricky. So there were times in Prime where I'd get a new unlock. I'd say, okay, I remember there was a door or there was a ledge or something back here. And I'll go check it out and it'll be an optional bit and you'll get a missile tank. I'm like, okay, cool. I found this this secret i've upgraded my missiles and now i have no fucking idea where i'm supposed to go and and what's a shame about that is and it's an aspect that i'd forgotten is and i i it almost feels sacrilegious to be kind of you know i worship retro studios and what they did with metroid prime yeah and now i'm, I'm about to like shit on them a little bit because sometimes then you're kind of wandering around a bit and you're gonna you know Door, colored doors are marked on your map, you know. You mm -hmm. can kind of check out the map for places you haven't been. That's kind of just one of the fundamental parts of these games. You can do a bit of exploring when you're stuck and kind of figure out. I had an extra kind of layer to my enjoyment of my replay. I, I, every time I came across somewhere I, where I knew, oh, I need a power bombs to blow up this thing. I need yeah. super missiles to blow up this. I was marking it on my um, 
on my phone. I was looking like a, a shopping list. Okay. And that kind of, I kind of, that gives me a kind of serotonin pokes. Yeah. Honestly, to kind of, you know, work through a list and kind of, you know, just kind of, you know, go back when I need to. But sometimes in that game, when you're kind of stuck, you don't need to go. You don't know where you need, where you need to go. Uh, something will come up on the screen after it, after you has you wandering around for half an hour aimlessly. Yeah. It'll come up on the screen and go, Ooh, um, uh, seismic readings found or something, um, you know, item found here and it'll tell you exactly where to go on the map. And I think, you know, if, if you talk to a certain person, that's like, of course the game should tell you where to go because, you know, it should give you a hint because it doesn't want you to be stuck. It doesn't want you to waste time. But I think if you're designing a Metrovania game and you have to tell the player with a with, a, with writing where to go next, yeah. you've kind of fundamentally failed to make absolutely a, a good one. Oh, I don't know. Metro Prime is a good one. I, just, <laughs> I took it too hard, but it's such a shame. And I didn't remember that from my youth. Yeah. And the flip side of that as well is that if... For example, you've got a couple of upgrades and you've decided, okay, rather than progressing sort of the, the main thread at the moment, I'm going to take a bit of time and go find some secrets and unlocks. The game doesn't really know that you're not lost, that you're looking for something else. And then every couple of minutes will yeah. remind you, oh, seismic activity found in the furnace. You're like, yeah, I know, I know. I'm just doing a thing. And and and, and I, hate to, I hate to do this, but we have a perfect roadmap on how to make a Metroidvania now. It's called Hollow Knight. Yeah. It's absolutely perfect. So if anyone would ever like disagree with this notion that, you know, oh, it's good that Metroid Prime kind of tells you where to go. It keeps the game moving. Just play Hollow Knight in the way that game doesn't tell you anything, yeah. except it tells you everything through its environment. It like leads you like by actually this kind of, this kind of ties into another Metroid game we'll be talking about in a second as well. But Hollow Knight is perfect in that sense. So I was kind of, I had a little bit of a kind of, um, you know, shock to the system, you know, you know, the rose tinted glasses when I replayed Metro Prime and I saw that it was kind of um, more inelegant in those parts than I remembered, I would say. But it's it's not all encompassing. I still think it's a fantastic game. I still think that like the fiery caverns, like it's called Magmore Caverns, mm. feels like deep and dark and like molten. Fendrana Drifts is so ethereal. And I just think there's such an atmosphere to that game i just love being it and love exploring it you know and i just don't think it's as good a metroidvania as i remembered yeah i think that's fair i think it is like as we said like converting the idea into 3d is a mammoth task and i don't think they've entirely succeeded at it but as you said they have absolutely nailed other aspects of it the atmosphere is great the, the map itself is great i think in particular sort of late game when you've got more of the power-ups and you're really like zipping around exploring it, like a lot of the areas that you've had to like fight your way through previously, now you can bypass with the, the grapple yeah, beam and stuff. That's very clever, yeah. So when you're when you're kind of powered up and you're you're really zipping around, particularly through like Magmore Caverns and stuff, um it just feels great to explore. It's it, it's it's a real masterstroke of world design, even if they haven't nailed down the um the metroidvania side of it as well as they could have for sure and i never thought i'd be such a negative nancy when i got to talk about this game on the podcast but here we are and i will say as well that it has one of my least favorite things in a game and not many games do this but i've played a handful in my life where it's you're you're at the, you're getting to the end of the game and it's like welcome to the end of the game but before you can go there, can you actually go back and explore the whole world and find these 12 artifacts that are hidden yes. around the place? And <laughs> yeah. it's, it's kind of cool. And you can find some of them as you go. 
but actually the way the design works you can't find a lot of them a lot of them are designed to be found during like the end game hours yeah, yeah. so it is like uh yeah it, it encourages you to go back it, like if you're the kind of player who wants to go back and explore anyway and find items you miss it gives you kind of a reason to do that but i do kind of feel like that should be my decision and i shouldn't have to like you know add another like four hours potentially five hours six hours like if you, if you really don't know what you're doing you don't want to look up a walkthrough to kind of you know comb through this world and find these artifacts and you get clues to where they are but that can still be quite difficult actually yeah. i think four or five hours might be a little bit much but still you know you get my point yeah well i mean easily two or three and yeah. um and it can feel a bit like busy work some of them are like quite clever and quite fun to unlock and some of them just really aren't so metroid prime actually got two sequels you haven't played either of them have you no i haven't yeah, it's the Metroid Prime trilogy. I am of the opinion of the opinion that Metroid Prime, despite the negative things I ended up saying about it, Metroid Prime sort of got it right. Yeah. And Metroid Prime two and three, uh, Echoes and Corruption respectively, are both really interesting sequels. I don't think Retro Studios rested on their laurels making them. Yeah. But they do kind of, in being kind of fresh and weird, they kind of deviate from the kind of little bit of perfection that Prime was, um, so to speak, and. Metroid Prime 2, I won't talk about them long. I don't have much to say about them, to be honest. Yeah. Like, you know, Metroid Prime 2 game is aggressively difficult, from okay. what I remember. It has a kind of a light dark world uh, mechanic. And, like, if you're in the dark world, like, Samus is constantly taking damage unless you're standing in these pockets of light and kind of kind of navigating a kind of Metroidvania-type world while also having two kind of versions of it was just very taxing. Yeah. I just remember being very hard. And then Metroid Prime 3 kind of... It was the big climactic thing to um, the whole franchise, the whole trilogy. Yeah. So they added cutscenes and characters with dialogue and stuff like that. And, you know, to bring it up again it is, you know, ironically what the people feared. The whole thing did feel a bit Halo. Yeah. It, it had a kind of, um, you know, military chief guy kind of barking orders at you for parts of the game. And I mean, we at the time, like the gameplay was untouched. It was still a great Metroid game and a great um, Metroidvania. But I just remember at the time going like the, the vibe was off. You know, yeah. they, they should be kind of, um, Samus should be isolated. You know, she, she should be, she should feel kind of, you know, alone and she doesn't, she has too many people talking to her in this one. Yeah. Um, do you think that those two games are going to eventually get the remaster treatment as well? Or do you think that they're probably best left alone in the past? Well, they like Met Metroid Prime wasn't a big seller on the GameCube. Yeah. And by comparison, Metroid Prime 2 was abysmal, abysmal. Okay. I think Corruption did better because it was on the Wii. And Corruption was one of those, um, actually, I have, if I talk about that game, I have to say this. It was one of like the best Wii, ga Wii games in terms of the Wii remote and motion controls. Yeah. It was great. It controlled perfectly. It was it was one of those kind of rare triumphs that I wouldn't mind going back and playing it in that version. But to answer your question, I don't see why they wouldn't. Um, I, so, yeah, I'm hopeful that they were they will. But in a kind of more pessimistic way, I'm kind of angry that they haven't already. Why, did, why wasn't it a HD Metro Prime trilogy, honestly? These games yeah. are old, 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 you know? Because there was a bundle trilogy for the Wii. Yeah, I have it for the Wii, and you could play you could play one and two with the Wii controls. It was great. Oh, really? Yeah, that's, yeah. That's pretty cool. Yeah, so it does feel... I mean, it's Nintendo, so we shouldn't be too surprised by it. But it does feel, um, you know, a bit on the greedy side that they've, they've remastered one of the three games and selling that for practically full price. So they might easily try to, to double and triple dip in that well by selling the other ones again when they have a perfectly functional trilogy that could have just been released as one thing you know 
And Prime remake sold really well as well. Like for for a remake of a GameCube game on the Nintendo Switch, it sold really well. So what I, what I see from that is that like, I'm sure a lot of Metroid Prime fans bought that. But I, I hope a lot of people who've never played it before got to experience it. And there's even more people who've never played two and three, like you included. Yep. So you know, I'd love to see them get onto the Switch. Like they they are like despite you know slightly kind of grumbling about them there a moment ago. They are both great. They're both like you know I I think. And even the first Metroid Prime is like um, <laughs> um, a great example of this. A kind of a Metroid game that has some negatives I can talk about. It's for me, it's sort of head and shoulders about uh, above a lot of other games. You know? Oh, for sure, yeah, yeah. Just the fundamentals <laughs> of, a, of a Metroid game just you know already kind of brings up to a, a nine out of ten already <laughs> <laughs> on, a, on, a, on a good day anyway. But come here, have you played any other Metroid games? Or are you? Um, yeah, you... so I've, I've I've played I've I've played all of the two D ones bar the second one. I haven't, I haven't played Metroid 2 or I haven't played Samus Returns, the remake of Metroid 2. Well then, well, then we got to talk about Super Metroid, right? Yeah, absolutely. Super Metroid was, was the first one I played and oh buddy. Yeah. A- Super Metroid, aka the best one. The best one, absolutely. That's right. I am going there because I think I think in this day and age, Prime is kind of regarded as the best one. I, at least what I see, but... um. It wasn't even the first one. I missed Super Metroid. Never played it in Super Nintendo properly. Uh, never emulated it even. Weirdly. Like I played a lot of Super Nintendo games on emulation when I was a kid. I didn't play it until the Wii, the Nintendo Wii, and I got it on Virtual Console. Same, actually. Very good. Yeah. And I think, again, there's negatives. And in a world where Hollow Knight exists, <laughs> it's, yeah. not, it's not perfect. Yeah, it's not, it's not the best Metroidvania, but it is definitely the best Metroid. It's just, it's my favorite Super Nintendo game that's not made by Squaresoft. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if that made, made, made it sound less important when I said it that way, but it's it's my favorite Nintendo game on the Super Nintendo. Yeah. I think it's close to perfect. And in the ways that I, I, I talked about Metro Prime there, having to kind of quote unquote cheat a little by having a message come up on screen saying, go here. Super Metroid doesn't do that. And I will say for about 95% of the game, it's absolutely amazing to explore and figure out. Yeah. And it lets itself down with about 5% of it. Yeah, I think that's probably fair. I think it's very good at, by and large, it's very good at funneling you where you need to go. And it does that by letting you go where you don't need to go and just figuring out yourself. Um, like if you go off path in Super Metroid, sometimes it'll let you keep going for a couple of screens before you find out that you've gone off path. But the screens are normally memorable in a way, like we were saying earlier, that when you get the ability that allows you to progress, you'll remember them. You'll know where they are and you'll be able to find your way back there. Yeah, yeah. It feels it, it feels organic, doesn't it? Yeah. And like to, to use, uh, like to kind of point at other Metroid games, even there's, there's another Metroid game that is, too linear in my opinion there's another metro game that's you know very impressive design but you can feel the developers guiding you too overtly i think none of them have quite hit that kind of perfect i don't know amount of ingredients in it that just make it just so organic and fun and rewarding to explore and challenging as well like you're not your hand is not held in this game you have to kind of you have to have kind of you know awareness of you know of your surroundings you have to kind of remember things you've got to backtrack you've got to explore a little bit and yeah there's a couple of cheap moments in it 
kind of oh man there's one block in this room i was supposed to shoot kind of thing yeah which is which is like such a staple of the franchise that i i, I can kind of become immune to it until i see some youtuber pointed out and i have to kind of go yeah actually <laughs> yeah just because i've played this game 10 times doesn't mean you know that's actually good design just because i know it you know but for the most part i don't think metroid has like quite nailed it in the same way that super, super metroid nailed it in terms uh, nailed it in terms of yeah uh, exploration and just being like a metroidvania it's the best one and as a, as a super nintendo game we have to like we have to kind of cast our mind back to 1994 god the atmosphere yeah that they managed to like ring out of the super nintendo it's it's, it's unparalleled like the like the, the 60 minute graphics are amazing but the music it's so atmospheric the way the menu screen the opening menu screen doesn't open with like this like you know big theme it's just a very low atmospheric again there's a big ridley scott alien kind of um uh vibe in it and it's like the music um added to like the, the amazing kind of you know for a 16-bit game the vibes of like the level design i just think to this day it still it still feels like you're just descending yeah into into this alien planet and it's hostile and you're alone and it manages to still feel that way and i love i love graphics from all the ages like of course but just something about a 16-bit game that like manages something mm-hmm. <laughs> or even an 8-bit game that just managed to do it but you know like the, the the low tech tools they had back in the day just kind of makes my kind of eternally fucking nostalgic heart just beat faster you know yeah there's this thing in super metroid where it's talking about the atmosphere there where like it is very sort of melancholic to begin with yeah it's good um, yeah and it you there's this real feeling of descent that you're kind of you're you're working your way down into the bowels of this planet to begin with, and kind of pretty early on you'll end up kind of dropping down a bit that you can't get back up, and you kind of you've isolated yourself down in the bowels of the planet. And you have to explore and advance, and then like much much later on, after you've gotten like the ice beam and stuff, and you can free certain enemies and use them as a platform and get back up. You get back to that original landing site where you started, and they've changed the music. It's no longer the melancholic music from earlier. Yeah. It's, it's this sort of triumphant um, theme that kind of like it's 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 like rewarding you for having made your way back there yeah. having having completed this first loop around the planet you're like okay you're back but now you're at full power now you are the danger you're the one who knocks you know I'm actually Jen, like we're not we're not on video Kevin I'm actually grinning here you describe that because it's so correct and I don't think I've ever like noticed that before but you're damn right that's a great piece of um just kind of storytelling almost through gameplay, mm. isn't it? Yeah, it's fantastic. Absolutely loves it. Well, speaking of descending, though, uh, the one you haven't played, Metroid Two, on the Game Boy, yeah, is um, overtly that because it, it, it was it was made on, on an eight bit block, and it's uh, it's more kind of chunks of levels rather than a big kind of interconnected world, yeah. Which is not the Metroid flavor, but they had to do what they had to do. I mean, the way they kind of got around that in terms of um, creating an atmosphere was it was actually the plot of Metroid Two was really weird. I know. Metroids are evil. Actually, people don't know what what this why this game has like a silly name. It's named after uh, the the main threat, which is uh, a jellyfish bio- brains. They're jellyfish that are sort of bioweapons that are basically the most dangerous thing in the world. And if they, you know, they could really fuck up the universe if they got out there like parasitic and they can drain energy and stuff like that. But uh, Metroid Two, the, the actual plot of it is uh, genocide. Sam <laughs> Samus finally goes nah. Nah, these fucking jellyfish. <laughs> I can't be doing this anymore. And she's going to the home planet to literally wipe them out. That's, okay. that's, 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 pretty, that's, where, they, that's where they come from. And she's like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna. to. So you are in Metro 2, Kev. You are descending. 
overtly each world brings you further down yeah. and you actually start fighting different variations of metroids and i will hand to god admit it's actually a game i've never finished okay it's, it's a game boy game and it's really hard but i i played enough to kind of get that feeling and i've, I've seen video essays about it online about how people kind of it's, it's kind of the ignored one mm. but the thing that people always kind of you know uh cherish about it is that even though it's like a black and white game on the game boy it's that descent yeah it's what i think that metro is very good at is making you feel like alone in a hostile environment and they remade it years and years later on the nintendo 3ds in a game that i quite like called metroid samus returns it was a long kind of wanted remake of the yeah. kind of ignored metro game and i was absolutely thrilled when it was announced i was really annoyed it wasn't a switch game at the time because the 3ds was basically on death's door already yeah that's another game that deserves um uh, a bigger install base actually but it's great uh it's it, there's some really interesting ideas about it you have um actually a skill that creates a sphere around you and that's how you fill your map so you almost have to chart the place as you go cool which is kind of unique but it does lose that kind of fundamental thing of the original metroid 2 the feeling of descending yeah. down deeper deeper down into this like horrible place and it's it's lost um in the in the in the in the 3ds one but that was made by um a spanish company kev can you remember what they're called no mercury steam yes okay. well done yeah I, I, I did it and what a better time to springboard on to like the latest metro the latest new metroid game which was a long time coming long time coming and they were mercury steam did such a good job metroid um samus returns and like you know I have gripes about it, but they did. The Nintendo handed him the keys to the, the brand new one. And, dude, back in the DS days, there was all these rumors and all these magazines that I was collecting of this game that was developed called Metroid Dread. And it's like, what is this? And then it's just, it never came out. So when we were watching that, um, was it was it a Nintendo Direct, I imagine? Yeah. And they, they showed the first trailer for the new, uh, new Metroid game that was coming out. And it ended with Metroid Dread. I actually just, so I, I, I turned into a child for a second. Yeah. Whatever age I was, a young man. <laughs> I turned into a younger man for a second. <laughs> I was like, I couldn't believe this long gestating, long kind of cancelled and kind of, kind of, at the time the creator of Metroid was like, we don't, we actually don't have the technology to make this game, which is kind of big headed. Yeah. <laughs> who knows? <laughs> who knows if that's the real reason? But it finally came out, um, and I've talked about it on this podcast before. I think I did a my games of the year came out with the come out in twenty twenty one. Did it? Yes, correct. Yeah, and I talked about it. Uh, what do you think of Metroid Dread? I loved it. I absolutely mm. loved it. It was um, it's not perfect, but it's pretty fucking good. Is is one of our thesis statements for this episode that no Metroid is actually perfect? There isn't the perfect Metroid out there. I mean, there is. It's just <laughs> called Hollow Knight. <laughs> <laughs> not Metroid, though, Kev. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, um, Dread. I think some of the stuff they do really well. I think the the the, the Emmys, those persistent enemies that they've introduced, um, the sort of the the Nemesis style bits where they're they're chasing you down, you have to avoid them. Really adds a layer of, of tension to it that isn't present in any other Metroid game. Mm. Um, that I really enjoyed. I think in terms of the world design. I think maybe you might have alluded to this a bit previously. Um, it's kind of... I don't know. Did you ever feel like you were getting lost in that game? No. And, you know, a question for you. Is that a good thing or is it a bad thing? 
I don't know. I feel like the possibility of getting a little bit lost is kind of integral to the vibe of a Metroidvania for me. But the uh, way you don't, the way you don't get lost is quite well designed. That's it. That's is, is the thing. Yeah. Yeah. That's why I'm kind of in, in very much in two minds about it because I think the, the threat or the possibility of getting lost <laughs> adds to the vibe so much. But the flip side of that is the way that they've avoided it is incredibly clever level design. Yeah. Extremely. You can see you, you, I don't know. You can't really, well, I could see it. I was about to say, you can see the guiding hand of developers kind of, you know, guiding you. I was very much aware of the ways that they were having the world loop around in itself yeah, and not, you know, and not get me lost. And it is, it's so much, so much better, so much more elegant than that thing in Metroid Prime of having, you know, go here now, please. Yeah. A message on your screen. Yet, I, I don't know if it's cause, you know, I, I, I'm going to sound like an absolute pricker. Is it because I'm a veteran of the genre? I don't know. But I was just so aware while I was playing it that what 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 the design was doing. Yeah. And I kind of fall into the thing where I, I can marvel at it and really appreciate what Mercury Steam did and just with the level design in that game to just keep you chugging along and have the world kind of feel like this, you know, uh, tangle that has to become untangled, so to speak. But yet... I can feel like the hand pushing me. Don't go here. Go here. Yeah, you're fine. You're going to go here. And the fact that I can appreciate that doesn't mean that I wasn't kind of, you know, like you said, kind of yearning to be kind of let free a little bit. Yeah. And like the way they do it is, is often very clever stuff. It's like um, it, it gives you the illusion that you have access to like the whole map or the majority of the map at any one time. But in reality, like you go down a tunnel and it collapses behind you. Yeah. And you can't go back that way. So you have to push forward. And then that path that pushes you forward will bring you to the next Emmy that you have to find a way through that area. And then that'll lead you to the next boss fight and the next power up. And then that'll bring you to something that maybe brings you back to the area you were before. But at no point really did you have the option to like say, you know, I don't know where I am. I'm going to stop and backtrack and explore the other direction. It wasn't really there. Now, because of the way the game is paced and laid out, I mean, you could argue that you'd never really need to but I do feel that it's that sort of freedom of exploration is kind of integral to the vibe of the game for me. Um, and I did, same as you, I did, I did feel that it, the developer's hands guiding me as I went through it. Um, and yeah, I mean, I suppose in, in this day and age, like from an accessibility point of view, from getting like new players on board into the franchise, I completely get why they made the, the design decisions that they did. Um, but I did, I did definitely feel it at the time. And it's it, it's weird because it was such a long-awaited game that at the time I very much forgave it all its problems. Yeah. But now I'm a little bit more critical of it, even though I loved it. I thought it was one of the best games of that year. When that, when that game was announced, it, 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 the beginning of the trailer began with um, Metroid 5 came up on the screen. And some people were like, you know, celebrating that. And some people were very confused because, you know, we're expecting Metroid Prime 4. Mm-hmm. That was a kind of long delayed game um, that came out. And some people were like, did they just skip 4 <laughs> and move to 5? But there's actually two concurrent Metroid series. There's, yeah. the, there's the main one that, you know, began with Metroid on the, on the NES and is made in-house in Nintendo. And then there was the spin-off series, uh, Metroid Prime 1, 2, and 3. So this was the long-awaited fifth entry in the Metroid series, Metroid Dread. And it was like just like... Like, like I said earlier on, this was supposed to be on the DS. So, like, we're doing these in a weird order, but I guess I want to jump now back to the Game Boy Advance, the fourth Metroid game. Have you ever played Metroid Fusion? Fusion, yeah, I did. I think it's, I, I played it second. I played it after Super. I played it second, too. I played it 
I got it around the same time I got Metroid Prime when I was a kid, actually. And uh, I actually think they might have come out in the same day in Europe, which is really funny. I remember if you had it, you could unlock a special suit for Samus and Metroid Prime. You could get her suit from them. But that is a totally weird game. And, and mm. Samus gets, like, merged. Like, she gets, like, a, a, an alien, like, merged to her suit. And she as she's actually, like, half alien now. And she can absorb these things called X-Parasites to gain enemies. Or, sorry, gain um, energy. But I love it. I, I absolutely love it. It has this evil Samus hunting you in it. Yeah. And I'm not a huge fan of the trope of evil versions of main characters being like the villain. Weirdly enough, Metroid Prime did it as well with Dark Samus, and I've never been a big fan of Dark Samus. You actually don't know who Dark Samus is because she's not in Metroid Prime 1. She's only in 2 and 3. Okay. Uh, she becomes the main villain. Um, but I never liked her. And one, but one of the reasons I didn't like her all that much is because Metroid Fusion does it so much better. Um, it's actually an alien version of Samus's previous suit from Super Metroid that's hunting you. Okay. And it's not like hunting you like... Uh, I don't know, Mr. X and Resident Evil 2 remake. It's scripted, certain yeah. scripted events. But I remember before Dread came out a couple of years ago, I did all the kind of 2D Metroids again. I did 1, 2, 3, and 4. Yeah. And when you shotgun them like that, Kev, as I did, Metroid Fusion gets even better because it honestly, because you play Super Metroid before it, mm-hmm. and then when you play Metroid F- Fusion, it actually feels like you're being hunted by the version of yourself that you were in Super Metroid. <laughs> Because it has all your powers, it has the ice beam, it has all the cool shit that yeah. Samus got in the previous game, and it's a kind of be- piece of kind of designs I never appreciated until I literally played them back to back. It's really cool, but other than that, I think Metro Fusion is just like similar to other ones, which is like aesthetically, its vibes, atmospherically, an amazing game, but it is the most linear Metro game. Yeah. Yeah, which is a kind of a shame, and which is probably why it's some people's favorites. If you just want that, and I won't begrudge anyone that, but oh, for absolutely. me, for me, whose favorite is Super Metroid, I do like that kind of ability to kind of. I like the world opening up and kind of the ability to get lost and have to like explore it. But Metroid, Metroid Fusion, much more inelegantly than uh, Dread that we're just talking about the newest one. Yeah. Metroid Fusion is just hand-holding you the, the map is segmented into different areas it's absolutely impossible to get lost i will say in the end game section of the game if you're going back to collect kind of extra items that you might have missed you actually can open that world up which is very clever you can find secret hidden hidden areas and kind of hidden passageways and you can kind of make that segmented feeling world into a kind of a more whole thing which okay. is really clever i just wish, wish it wasn't just at the end of the game i wish you know it was actually in the you know incorporated you know, into the design itself that would that would be genius if it yeah. was honestly that would probably make it one of the best metro games and i guess that the, the last one funnily enough is you know a remake of the first one yeah we went we went in a wild ride in terms of the order we did those metro games but i just i just went i just went with my what you know well i say the i say the last metro game because you know, maybe someday we can do another Metroid games where we talk about all the shit ones. <laughs> <laughs> the spin-offs, the, the Metroid Federation Force, the Metroid Pinball. Actually, I think Metroid Pinball is quite liked. <laughs> but there's there's weird Metroid games. Um, the DS ones, Metroid Prime Hunters on the DS, which was um, a first-person shooter you, you controlled with the stylus. Okay. Uh, let's just stick to the main franchise <laughs> for yeah. now and, and yeah. talk about uh, Metroid Zero Mission, which is a remake of the original Metroid for the Game Boy Advance, and one of the reasons I'm delighted it exists is because of that kind of apathy I said that I have for the original Metroid. Mm-hmm. And now I never have to play the original Metroid because I got this cool remake. And I actually think, you know, it's funny like, t- talking about this series, and I'm kind of half thinking of people who might never have played it. 
and here right at the end of the episode instead of at the start i can say if you've never played a metroid game play metroid zero mission it's uh, it's the one i recommend honestly it's the one i think it's the it's the best gateway drug because it's it's not as inelegant as in terms of level design as like fusion but it's very kind to you yeah it has that kind of metroid prime-esque element where it will kind of put a dot on your map and tell you exactly the dot might be in a blank space on your screen but it'll give you the general idea of where you have to kind of go you know you gotta kind of make the map and spend out that way out that way but it's just a cool um beautiful 16-bit um game boy advance game uh you've played it yeah yeah i have i absolutely love it um there's something about the game boy advance um oh i agree i I never had one so all the things on the game boy advance that i've played i've played most of them through uh emulation on the wii or on the wii u or what have you but (laughs) there's just something about the, the the game boy advance that it was just that little bit higher sort of fidelity than the game boy color before it there's a I don't know, was it just games leaned into their art style a bit more? But I'm thinking of things like Zero Mission or like um, uh, Legend of Zelda Minish Cap. Just look absolutely stunning still. I just I think they're fantastic visually. Um, and Zero Mission, as you said, it holds your hand enough to keep you moving through it because it is you know, fundamentally based on an old and clunky game. So they sandpaper a lot of those edges off. Um, but it's just, it's just a good time. It's short too, if I'm remembering correctly incredibly short yeah in terms of like perhaps you know if you spent a lot of money on it like a, a regular video game price then you'd be like oh but nowadays i'm like cool this game is short i can play it in one setting and ha- like you know really make an evening out of it <laughs> yeah and one of the things it did was that like in terms of you know being um a fun remake it gave kind of you know narrative backstory to samus it kind of um as stuff like this is not really fundamental what makes metro cool but you know the metro mythology is, is cool and i like it it kind of there's an ancient race called the Chozo in it mm. who kind of made her suit and Metroid Zero Mission kind of retroactively um, ties Samus's backstory with her, to, uh, with those Chozos and she was raised by them. But it adds this whole final chapter. And am I correct in saying you weren't too hot on this extra final chapter? Because this is one of the selling points, Kevin, when I saw it in magazines when I was a kid. This was like the cool thing where you could play a final bit of the game that wasn't in the original Metroid where Samus gets captured and suddenly On the Space Pirate's ship. And she's not in her suit anymore because that was the thing you've never got to play a Sam that's not in her suit before. This was like a new thing, Kev. You've just reminded me of that. And I think, yeah, <laughs> I think I absolutely fucking hated that bit, didn't I? Yeah, because it's stealth. Yeah. Because, but uh, like, yeah, I don't know because I, I can't disconnect it from how kind of exciting it was to play a Sam, a Samus just like now she's now known as Zero Suit Samus, named after that game, Zero Mission. Mm-hmm. Zero Suit Samus is, is the name that that character was given to Smash Brothers. The idea is that you're kind of depowered for the last chapter of the game. You have this little stun whip and you're hiding from enemies rather than attacking them. And I remember it being really cool, but was it just novelty, you think? Is it actually just pain in the ass? Uh, I found it to be an incredible pain in the ass. And especially what? since it's like put at the, the end, the climactic thing of the game. Yeah, 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 for sure. Um, I don't know. I tend to look very unfavorably on stealth sections in games that don't aren't based around a stealth mechanic. Yeah, I, I struggle to think of a good one. Um, the main one that's coming to mind at the moment is uh, you played the the Insomniac Spider Man game. Yeah, yeah. Those the stealth sections in that first one replay as MJ, and you have to like. The computer gets to play a Spider-Man and do the fun stuff, and you just get to like <laughs> point and click. Absolute dog shit. Um, 
I don't know if the stealth bit from the end of Zero Mission is as bad as that, but I think that's be- a, that, that's a really funny comparison because I when I remember when I played Spider Man, I was like, oh my god, you get to play as MJ. I actually because I, I didn't know that was in it. I thought that was just a fun little thing. Until like 10 minutes later, and I was like, I want to zip around New York again. Yeah. What's happening? I want to be the spider guy. (laughs) It's a a fun comparison in the sense for you. I actually think the ending of Metroid Zero Mission was cool at the time. I still like it. And it's not that long. It's fine. No, it's not. It's nowhere near as bad as I'm making it out to be. I think I was bad at it and also playing it late at night. And I think... I enjoyed complaining about it to you more than I did <laughs> actually playing it. But it but. is interesting because I'd been following along with magazines and leading up to the purchases of the game. Mm. I was almost building towards that section because yeah. I knew it was in it and I knew it was this kind of fun thing. Yeah. But I wonder having a, a mandatory stealth section just like glomped onto the end of a game might not feel that good if you don't know what's coming. Yeah, I think maybe that's a good point. Maybe if I knew it was coming, maybe if I was if I was Metroid primed for it, I'd um I would have enjoyed it more. That was brilliant, man. <laughs> Thanks, buddy. Were you waiting to slip that in somewhere or was that just right off the cuff? I have that on a sticky note on my screen here. <laughs> well, I think we should Metroid Fusion the end of this, to the end of this episode. Oh, fucking hell. It's not as good as you. Nah, that was, that was super, Metroid. Oh, fucking hell. What's happening? <laughs> I, Metroid, dread to think what you'll say next. There you go. All right. That's good. That's good. Let's go yeah, there. Thank you very much. But uh, like I said, there's a ton more Metroid to cover, but I think that'll do it, right? Um, I think so. It's one of my favorite series. I know we didn't talk much about, like, I, I approached the mythology there for a second, but honestly, the story and mythology and stuff like that, it's not one of my favorite parts of Metroid. Mm. I think it's neato. And I have, you know, looked over, you know, uh, a wiki or two over the years, you know, but I don't really, I, it's it's actually just digging into those games and getting lost with them that I absolutely love. And it's just a shame that I've become just slightly less of a Metroid fan ever since Hollow Knight has existed. Yeah, it, it's it, it is a shame. Like Hollow Knight doesn't retroactively no. make the Metroid games worse, but at the same time, you can't help but compare them. And it's not, <laughs> exactly. it's not, and it's not just Metroid. Like there's plenty of other you know Metroidvanias, like the 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 Ori games, Ori in the Blind yeah. Forest, Ori in the Will of the Wisps. I believe they're excellent. I played about five minutes of Blind Forest, and I was like, I just want to play Hollow Knight instead. Ooh, because they're supposed to be kind of magical. People who love those games really mm. love them. Yeah, yeah. I, I also bounce off Ori though, so I'm on your side. I think, uh, yeah, like to, to to say one more time, the main conclusion I've come to from speaking at length on this podcast, because I think, like, I discover things about the games I love when sometimes when I speak in this podcast, because it's just off the cuff, you know, mm. is that yeah, I haven't played the perfect Metroid game yet. No, I have problems with all of them, <laughs> <laughs> even games I absolutely adore, like Prime or Super. I'll just you know, there's negatives to focus on. Yeah, well, listen, I mean, they, we're kind of spoiled at the moment in that they actually seem to be making and releasing Metroid games. Yeah. So who knows? Maybe Prime 4 is going to be that um, that yeah. perfect 10. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, I'm. it's always good to live your life wanting something, I think, isn't it? That's it. You have to have something to strive, strive for. Grass is always greener, isn't it? Uh, you, I, I don't want to know if I want to live in a world where I'm not still striving for that perfect Metroid game. But on that note, and that perhaps you know, dour note, or some might say absolutely tedious, what is he talking about note. Some might say that. (laughs) Let's end the episode there. I will thank you, Kev. And then after that, which is now, thank you everyone for listening to another episode of Hey Look Listen. I hope you join us next time. My name was Liam Sheen. I was joined here by Kevin O'Carroll. We were talking about Metroid. 
Thank you very much. Goodbye. Bye. <laughs>